Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 245. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, I'm here with a first-timer, Shama Ko. Shama, how's it going? Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. I am glad to have you. You're uh, dialing in from the island. <laughs> it's uh, We have a tropical storm, but it has not dropped a drop of rain. So I think it was a false alarm here. It is pouring down. I take that away. It's pouring down rain. The power might go out. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> well, hey, why don't you give yourself a quick intro? I am certain that everyone out there listening is going to be familiar with your brand. But why don't you just tell us about it, about yourself and how those two things came to be? Awesome. So I, my name is Shama. I am a black belt. I got my black belt last February from Penny Thomas, who's under Leticia Ribeiro. And uh, I started jujitsu in 2003, when most people didn't even know what jujitsu was. And there was definitely not a lot of women uh, in the sport. Um, my first love was photography. So that's something that I've been able to kind of incorporate through the years in doing girls and geese. I'm masters. I don't really compete so much anymore, but I do enjoy being involved in the community. It's been a huge part of my life. It's been a uh, something that I've lived for for a very long time. I've been pretty much immersed myself into the jiu-jitsu world for the past 20 years this year. And uh, I am a farmer's daughter. I'm born and raised on the island of Oahu. I'm from Palola Valley. And I've been growing up picking taro and clearing taro patches since as long as I could pretty much walk. And I love nature and the ocean and all things Hawaii. Now, this is probably going to tie into the topic that we were going to talk about today, but let's talk about Girls in Geese. Uh, this is a brand with pretty significant brand awareness. I see it all the time in my feed, but why don't you just plug it? Explain what it is, what the purpose is, and what kind of community outreach and engagement you people do. Awesome. Uh, so Girls in Geese started in 2009 uh, by Ashley Freeman. Nguyen, and she basically, her husband owned an academy and she wanted to get more women to train. And so she helped to create this kind of group. It was really informal. It was literally a group of us women. There, back in 2009 is when it started. And I was living in Texas, Austin, Texas at the time. And she just invited all these women, just come train, come train at my gym. And we'll call it, you know, she called the Girls and Geese, which was an awesome name. And I was a participant. And so she held the first two at her gym. And then before long, 
more women like, oh, this is awesome. I want to host in Dallas. I want to open host in Corpus Christi in San Antonio. And so uh, I would like literally pile in a car with all my girlfriends and we would go wherever these events were going on because we wanted to be able to train with other women. And just to have that solidarity and that build those sisterhood and friendship. And, and so I fell in love with it. I, like I said, my first love was photography. I was a photographer for a very long time. I was running my own photography business and so my schedule was really flexible. And I noticed that even though it was an amazing program, there was no organization backing it. There was no order to it. And so I offered to kind of step up like, hey, let's start forming some organization around this this concept. And so for the past 14 years, I've been leading the, I, I helped to build the organization. I've been leading the organization for 14 years with Ashley's blessing. And it's been phenomenal. Uh, we, like I said, we started in Texas. We covered, we, if you know Texas, it's the size of France. So we covered the whole state as far down to the border, as far north, the border of Oklahoma. And before long, people started coming in from other states. Because this concept did not exist at the time. And so everybody wanted to be a part of it. So they drive from north Oklahoma, they drive from Louisiana, they drive from you know, uh, New Mexico, anywhere they can go to get to be a part of this. And so I realized, you know, this is something super special and it was actually Seth Daniels' fight to win because I was a photographer. I was a sports photographer. I was taking pictures, um, doing dedicated coverage way back in the day. Um, and he was like, why don't you take this to Colorado? And I was like, because I don't have the money to bring this to Colorado. And so he literally uh, flew me out. I took pictures at his tournament one day. We did the girls and games event the next day, which coincidentally was a blizzard. And coming from Hawaii, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of when we started moving out on a national level. And from there, I just spent about seven years just Johnny Appleseeding the whole country and like, hey, here's a little girls and huge for you. And it was really awesome because I learned that it meant so many different things to so many people. And now we've grown into an organization. We have 16 chapters throughout the U.S. We've done events in 26 different states, and we have over 50 ambassadors that are spearheading it in their communities. So it's really awesome to see the leadership opportunities that came along with this organization and having these ambassadors involved in it. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Well, hey, let's get into the topic here that we wanted to discuss. You had mentioned that a topic that's very relevant to you is overcoming obstacles. And you'd specifically said that the journey to create Girls and Geese was kind of born out of that need to overcome some obstacles in your personal journey. So let's get into that a bit, because I think that's going to be pretty relatable to most of the listeners. So like I said, I was a competitor for about a period of seven years, and that was my whole world. I trained three times a day, seven days a week, lifted, ran, everything that you can do to be the best possible me, you know, as an athlete. And so I would travel, you know, anywhere I could, the pans, the worlds, any tournament I could go to. And that was my dream. Like I wanted to be a world champion. And so back in 2010, I ended up just, my knee was just not great. 
I tore my meniscus and my ACL, and I unfortunately did not have insurance, and this was pre-Obamacare, so I couldn't get insurance. I couldn't even buy it if I tried. So I ended up having to go get a job and to get the insurance, and then you, know, you got to wait a year for that to happen. And that was earth-shattering because competition was my world. Like, I lived for it. Like, and to have that delayed for that long, I felt really lost. And that was the first time that I'd never, you know, I'd been already training for about seven years at that point. And that was the first time that I'd ever had to take a break. And I was a purple belt at that point. And I was doing well, like I'd won the pans, I just placed second in the worlds. And so I was like, oh, I'm on the upswing. And believe you me, I lost and I lost and I lost to get to that point. So it was really disappointing to have it cut short. And so during that time period, that's kind of when I got involved with Girls and Geese. And now I had downtime. And so that's when I had the opportunity to structure and build the organization surrounding this group of women. And um, so I threw myself all into it. And I'd already been running my own photography business, so I knew how to do the marketing and how to do all aspects of running a business. And so I was, I started kind of redirecting my energy towards girls and geese. And that helped me to stay connected to something I loved, even though I physically could not train anymore and I, I tried I mean I've really tried when well, by the time I got my knee surgery the surgery I kept training and I kept ripping it I kept training and I kept ripping it and when I got the surgery the surgeon was like you pretty much did the surgery yourself I just cut off that last piece of your meniscus that needed to go and but so not being able to train anymore like I said was so hard but having that connection still helped me to keep going and then it helped me to see how much what I was doing was benefiting others and that helped me redirect my you know my perspective of what jujitsu meant to me it wasn't about me being a cad petter it wasn't about me putting all this energy into myself I now had another outlet to look at giving giving it back at that point yeah, amazing. You know, that's an interesting phase of the journey. I think that for many people, they can't imagine how could I still enjoy jujitsu when I can't do jujitsu. I certainly remember feeling this way when I was younger, too. You know, the thought of being involved in this community when you can't really participate or your participation is limited, it just seemed like, what's the point? But as you get older and kind of fall into, I guess, that elder statesman or elder stateswoman role into sport, you get to the point where you get more enjoyment out of the teaching aspect and out of growing a community and that kind of shift in perspective, you're going to have to have that shift one way or the other, because no matter how athletic and lucky you are, time catches up to all of us eventually, right? There's always going to be that point oh, yeah. where you can't roll anymore. So what do you do at that point? How do you stay engaged? And I think your story is an interesting story of how you can do that and kind of turn lemons into lemonade, so to speak. 100%. And and I fought it. It was not like a graceful transition. I'll be honest. Uh, there was a lot of like, oh, why'd this happen? Pity party, party for one, you know, party of one type of deal. And so it was not a smooth transition. But once I realized 
the value in what I was doing and contributing and building this community and creating this safe space and was just helping other women and girls realize you're not alone. You know, our journeys may seem different, but you're guaranteed going to find somebody else that's had to go through what you're going through, what you want to. And we can learn so much from each other to not only grow the sport, but also just offer support to each other to stay in it. You know, it's it's not an easy sport for anybody, but it's really not an easy sport for women. And it really wasn't back then at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are a woman in the sport, you are very, very much a minority. I mean, things have gotten markedly better over the last few years, in large part due to organizations like yours. But there's still very much that perspective of, look, even in the most inclusive gym, you're probably going to be a minority if you're female. You're going to, and in some gyms, you might be the only woman, which is a huge problem, but also a huge growth opportunity for the sport. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is a a big part of learning to to deal with obstacles and ultimately overcome them was shifting your perspective to something more productive than that kind of self-imposed pity party because you couldn't have what you wanted right then and there, right? Hundred percent. And then I started realizing that you know jujitsu prepared me for this. Jiu-Jitsu prepared me for the challenges that life has thrown at me and that I got this, you know, like you've got to flow. You can't keep, you can't keep going for that, that choke and that choke and that choke. Otherwise you're going to miss out on everything else, you know? And so that's really, that was my first like, aha, okay, I, I got to re, I got to redirect. Yeah. Yeah. Something we've talked about on the podcast many times is the the old martial arts principle of taking the path of least resistance. It is very common, especially for white belts and even blue belts to try to power their way through things and just get their technique done by force of will alone or by muscle. But you realize at some point, and it becomes especially important as you get older, that you're going to be better off looking for the easy way through. Um, And sometimes that bullheadedness that we all have can make it difficult for us because we have it in our minds that we want something but we're not willing to let it go when another opportunity, maybe a better opportunity, presents itself. So I, I think that kind of flexible thinking is important for people to develop. 100%. I mean, if you can't be flexible in this life, you're just going to get stuck. Yeah, definitely. Now, what advice would you give to people who are also in that situation? It's a, a very common situation for a younger grappler who wants to do this professionally and competitively to have that cut short. So many people that I know have had to abandon their competitive aspirations because of injury or health issues. If you're talking to someone who's, you know, in their 20s or early 30s and they're going through this, what kind of advice do you give to them? Well, there was a mantra that I repeated. And and anytime I've had challenges in jujitsu that then as well as life is what is now is not forever, meaning it may suck right now, but it's going to change. The one thing you can guarantee in life is it's going to change. And maybe, not that, oh, everything has a reason, but maybe you can find that reason in why you are where you are at right now. Maybe you're not balanced. Maybe you need to redirect and focus on other aspects of your life, you know? And I think what happens, especially when you first first fall into jujitsu or come into the sport, um, one of my friends described it as... She's an enticing mistress, you know, she'll seduce you, but you got to like 
you can't go all in and just make that your whole world because eventually you're going to need to come out of it and and you're going to find that a lot of the times that your life was not balanced and you're putting way too much energy into jiu-jitsu all your time all your energy and maybe you're not spending enough time with your family or your friends or your social life or your career or other interests that you have it's okay to have under other interests in jiu-jitsu you can still love jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu is not going anywhere you know if anything it's just growing stronger and stronger uh as time goes on and you know maybe just and if you if when you're better maybe jiu-jitsu wasn't for you and that's okay and maybe you find something else that you really love doing that's all right and so that's kind of what's helped me is to realize that maybe my maybe my focus was just way too in on one area and it helped me to kind of redirect and find other you know I, I stopped taking photos so it helped me to find get more in touch with other parts of who I am jiu-jitsu did not define me but I thought it did and that's why I think it was so soul crushing once I had that all taken away from me because I put my so much of my identity into being a competitor, into being an athlete, and I forgot about Shama. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Some advice that I've heard in the past, I believe it was uh, Paul Graham who said this, is keep your identity small, um, meaning that the more that you consider things to be part of your core identity, the more likely it's going to hurt you when those things unfortunately get taken away. Um, it's it's interesting that you bring this up because this is a, a huge problem that I think most competitors go through, which is that the idea of being a competitor, especially being a successful competitor, is just so ingrained in their identity that when that is inevitably taken away from them, uh, they just kind of lose track of who they are. And you see this existential crisis that so many competitors go through when they realize they have a shelf life and they've only maybe got a few years left where they can actually do this for a living. And then what, right? Then what comes after that? Is that something that they, they've thought about? Is there anything left to their identity once that, that first piece of, of being a competitor is taken away? I mean, no one wants to hear this, because, but uh, much, much like emo, uh, being a competitor is a phase that you will go through. You know, eventually you are going to get to the point where you simply can't do it anymore that's not to say it's not worth doing. Um, I mean, you can change your life by having a successful competition track record. You can build a career on the back of it, but it can't be the only thing that defines you. No, absolutely. And and that's what I had to learn. That was a hard lesson. I'm stubborn. I am so stubborn. I get that from my grandmother. I'm so stubborn. And like I said, that was not a, it was not a graceful transition at all. And it was a hard lesson. I had to learn it. I've had to learn it a few times. Like this was, you know, the, the first of the first of many, should I say, experiences. And but it prepared me, you know, for the other ones that came. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, let's talk about some of those experiences. I mean, what are things looking like nowadays? Are you in addition to running the foundation? Do you also teach and coach? I'm just curious to know how you split your time. Well, maybe I've gone all in again. <laughs> no, I think I, I think I kind of did because I'm an all or nothing. And I have, you know, I have that Asian work ethic behind me. And so I just want to put all, you know, you got to do good. You got to be the best. Right. And so I redirected in some ways that same energy into girls and geese that I had before. And I think the pandemic for me was like, 
okay, wake up. This cannot be your whole world. And so the pandemic, like for many, was the first time that it forced me to redirect because Girls and Geese had become my entire world. And I stopped doing my photography business because it needed all of my attention in order to become what it has. So nowadays, like many, I redirected and and I connected back with who I am. You know, I I love the earth. I want to farm. I want to be close to nature. And that's super important to me. And so I've started uh, helping out on the family farm more and learning the family trade again as an adult. And I moved back to Hawaii. That was the, uh, the best part. You know, my parents are getting older. They're in their 70s now. And I was gone for about 20 years. And so I realized that... If you don't have people you love to share your life with and you just focus on your career again, you're out of balance. Well, and so that that was a huge part of me moving home. And the pandemic kind of made it happen because I'd had a uh, I'd been living in Austin for a really long time and I decided to pack up all my stuff and throw it in a storage and I was going to travel all of 2020. Then I came home to Hawaii first to kind of recoup before I did this big trip. I had my ticket to Australia and then on to Indonesia, and I was set to leave March 2020. And then the world went, mm, no, nah, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and so I joke and I say I got stuck in Hawaii and I just never left. But it was absolutely, again, it was a hard reality because I had these great plans of I'm going to invest in myself and I'm going to find balance. And, and, but I found it in a different way that I never expected that I would at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example because one thing that I know about jujitsu people is they're stubborn. They don't like being told what to do and they don't like having to change plans. But sometimes you have, you know, there's really nothing you can do about it. I mean, injury is an example of, of that. I mean, the pandemic was a, a perfect example of kind of a, a collective trauma that we all went through where we kind of all had to throw out our goals. So um, I, I think that this is, these are all great illustrations of having that awareness of self so that you can at least pivot and and try something new and make the best out of a situation. Like you said, find meaning out of a situation as opposed to just ramming your head against the wall and continuing to try to go down a path that is just no longer viable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I'm stubborn. I did not want to go down. I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be stuck. You know, but like, what do you do? The world shut down. (laughs) Yeah, there's, I mean, look, sometimes the decision is is out of your hands sometimes. I mean, this is a very common thing for competitors. You know, you can walk into a competition with the best game plan in the world, slip on a banana peel and injure yourself before the match even starts, right? Sometimes uh, the outcome is not always in your hands. So the question becomes then, how do you, reframe your mindset so that you can still keep your sanity even when things don't go the way that you want them to. Yeah, 100%. And then again, you go back to your training, you know, jujitsu. I'm a strong believer that jujitsu teaches you not only how to, you know, have body awareness and how to choke people and armbar people and self-defense, but it teaches you amazing life lessons if you just pay attention, you know, and on so many levels, you know, I mean, I... I, after having my knee thing, then I had a, you know, just devastating health issue that just came out of left field only like maybe a couple 
maybe about six years later after that and then the pandemic you know so it's like been boom 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 but if i didn't have i don't think if i had learned what i had on the mats and really seen how it can reflect life and how it how it mirrors it in some ways i don't think i would have been able to get through a lot of those situations in the same way that i have you know maybe it would even take me even longer to learn the lessons or even more times to learn the lesson um than it did without jujitsu sale yeah yeah, awesome. So, uh, I mean, let's check in here now in terms of of where you are. In so, when it comes to how you help other people in that situation, is is this something that girls and geese is involved with? I know that community outreach is a big part of this, but how do you help coach or support people who are kind of in that similar situation where they've they've run up against an obstacle and they just don't know what to do? So, well, as far as girls and geese, we do. We do events. And so that's a really great, like I said, there's so many different layers to that and how it benefits. But I look at it as a kind of a support community. And so I would say that like having those friends, finding that that community, finding that tribe, that's a huge part of it, you know, because none of us can do this alone. Even though we get out there and it's an individual sport, you need to have a collective team behind you. And so I think having that support is a huge part of it. And then we also have a really amazing, so during the pandemic, again, blessing in disguise, we started doing more virtual stuff. So I was like, well, we can't do events anymore because that's done for a little while. Why we have to kind of pivot. We gotta go online. We gotta do everything online. So again, I'm a talker if you can't tell. And so we started firing up like, all right, everybody's doing a podcast. Let's do a podcast. And so we started having different segments. We have something called Ask a Black Belt. And Ask a Black Belt is a live Q&A that we do on our Instagram where we get black belts from all walks of life to come on and people chime in and they can ask them any questions. And we aren't just looking for the big name competitors. This is people who are coaching, maybe somebody who's working with children or adults with disabilities in jiu-jitsu these are people who have completely different perspectives and experiences that may appeal to different people from different walks of life we also started doing uh this next generation series and that's all about promoting the kids and it's where we interview these young up-and-coming girls and i love hearing these kids perspectives because you know what nobody can tell it like they can we can be adults and we can sit here and be like, this is what's best for the kids, but they they have opinions too, and we need to listen to them. And so that's where that sparked that segment, because I said, it's important for us to be listening. I don't want to just talk at them. I want them, I want to hear them. I want to hear what they have to say. And then we also started our panel discussions called Real Talk, and we get these women together from all areas. We've had men on it as well, and we talk about anything and everything jujitsu related uh sometimes we tie in a little bit of current events that are going on like when police brutality was going on and and george floyd we brought in we had a panel discussion with people who are heavily involved with black lives matter and then we had some officers on as well and it was really good because we promoted that open exchange of communication so maybe they walked away with a little bit of different perspective that they came in and so that's pivot like i said has helped us to grow and expand off of what we were already doing 
And we still do them, even though, you know, we don't really have a reason to keep doing it other than we love doing it. And it's benefited a lot of people. And I mean, why not use our platform to help benefit other people, you know, even more, maybe people who are not in the areas that we're not, who are doing events. Some other areas that Girls and Jesus, we have our scholarship program. This is my baby. Because when I was a competitor, I was broke as a joke all the time. I was one of those deadbeat jujitsu competitors in the gym, you know, but maybe I could pay tuition sometimes, you know, I'll help out and teach kids class, do what I could to just stay on the mats, right? And I worked just as many photo jobs as I could to pay my bills, to cover my travel. And I remember thinking to myself, like, why is there not something for women and girls or competitors in general that just want to compete and and something to just help out, you know, because you see all these companies and and I had sponsors, you know, sponsored but a bunch of different companies, but I wasn't getting any cash to help pay for travel or pay for competition. I was getting gear. And I understand like a lot of jujitsu companies are just not in the position to do that. And so in building the organization, one of the things that I set out uh, to do in the organization was to start our scholarship program, which helps underprivileged women and girls worldwide with tuition assistance, with a gi or no gi gear, with competition stipends, because the number one obstacle that I've heard over the years on why women don't train, why girls don't train, is they couldn't afford to. So I said, all right, we'll get rid of that. And I mean, we've been doing that for a while now. And it's really amazing because we've helped women and girls all over the world. I mean, sounds amazing. I'm familiar with your work and absolutely a big fan of it. Now, if someone else was inspired by this and they wanted to sort of duplicate that success, something that we are always mindful of on this podcast is we want to create some educational value from the listener and kind of give them a playbook for how they can take this away and, and do it themselves. So if someone's in that situation that you were in where they've hit a wall, it's time for them to rethink their priorities. How do they go about assessing and and doing that? So on this journey that you talked about where you assessed and identified um, these weaknesses in um, in women's jujitsu and why women aren't training and then going on to solve that problem, how did you go about doing that? How did you figure that out? And what ultimately were, were the factors that led you to decide to bite the bullet and do this? So... I have a really awesome mom. My mom has been working in the nonprofit sector since I was a little kid and she went back to work and she had, she worked a lot in the legislation here in Hawaii. And so, I mean, I was like six, seven years old testifying in front of the Capitol building. And so she helped build my skill set in a way that I never thought I'd use until I started doing what I'm doing now. And I realized, you know, for myself, like all those crappy jobs I had that I hated, they taught me all these different skills. So for somebody who wants to do this, I will say you probably know more than you think you do. And you don't have to be somebody to make a difference because I was nobody. And I just, again, I'm stubborn and I wouldn't get up, give up. And that's why I'm still here. And that's why I've been able to do what I do. And I believed in it. Like people go, 
do you ever think jujitsu for do you ever think women's jujitsu would be as big as this? And I was like, hey, sure, why do you think I'm here? I believed in it wholeheartedly that this could go to like anywhere and that the sky was the limit and that by coming together and that's really what it is like it's this is not girls and geese is not the shama show you know it is a collective effort on parts of hundreds and hundreds of women and men that support us that have been involved in with this that have opened their gyms to us that have taught that have contributed in so many different ways and like i said you don't have to be somebody to do something big you just have to believe in yourself and then other people will believe in what you're doing yeah i i love what you're saying there that's just such a great example of the the power of belief and commitment it's it's funny this is something that i i know we've talked about before there's just this natural tendency of people to to want to shut down people who have big ambitions and to not believe in them and to push back but as soon as someone crosses that threshold and they actually achieve it then all of a sudden everyone's okay with it and they just act like oh well you know we of course that person would succeed we always believed in them the whole way through but i mean let me tell you you know anyone who's ever tried to start something new for the first time they know that they're going to get a lot of people talking down to them and telling them that they can't do it and giving them all of the reasons why they'd never be able to succeed but all of those people shut the hell up as soon as something actually happens. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, where can I, how can I help? And I'm like, well, okay, thanks. Now that I did all the heavy lifting, sure, you can hold that, you know, like, all right. No, I'm just kidding. But it is true, like 100%. But like I said, I've, I've surrounded myself with like-minded individuals that are on the same page. And I think that's huge. Yeah, so... How do you go about finding like-minded individuals, finding the right people? I mean, that's such a big part of this, right, is building the right crew. I'm assuming that at least, especially at the beginning, these people weren't just coming to you out of nowhere and you had to kind of go looking to find them. Any advice on building a team or getting a community kickstarted like that? Trust your gut, 100%. All of us have more intuition than we realize. And try, I mean, you have to practice to become in tune with that. I mean, I was lucky because I was running around with this crew already and we were just, we were members, you know, there was no member. It wasn't anything to be a member of, but we were just a part of it. It was just me and my girlfriends doing it. And they said, okay, you want to take the lead, Shama? All right, we got you. And that, I was very fortunate in that aspect. But as time has gone on, as time has, as it's grown, you know, I don't have the privilege of knowing and re- and recruiting all of these ambassadors. So I trust those that I've entrusted. And so the cycle kind of goes on and on and on. And I'm heavily invested. I mean, I know every single ambassador that's a part of this. I screen them, meaning that I get to know them. I want to know you. Where are you coming from? What is your intent? And sometimes it's not that easy. And sometimes you just, you got to learn by falling on your face and people show you who they really are. But that's, again, that's all a part of the lesson, right? But again, also too, it's like, I'm a strong believer in like attracts like. Those that are really on the same page of me as me will keep going. You know, they're going to show, they're going to show me through their actions how they, how they are uh, on the same page, not just by their words. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I would say, to get your perspective as someone who's pretty connected with the community here on on the topic of overcoming obstacles, 
What do you think are some of the bigger obstacles that the jujitsu community as a whole faces? Um, not just for women necessarily, but just in general. How can how can we grow this sport? People are always talking about taking jujitsu to the next level and what's involved in that. And everyone's got different ideas on what that means. What are your thoughts on that and exactly how we would go about doing that? I mean, I feel extremely privileged that I've gotten to see the evolution of the sport, the community, the art over the past 20 years, because I've got to see it go from this very small niche group into mainstream. And I think that by going mainstream as we are right now, it has pluses and minuses. And I think it's always important to remember where we came from. That that very basic part of jujitsu. I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of challenges that we still face. It's not regulated. It's kind of just still the wild west. But then we're getting huge, and I think that kind of presents its own issues, right? Because it's like a company in a sense that if it gets too big too fast, how do you manage that? Because everybody wants to do their own thing over here and over there. And and it's interesting, too, because America has changed Brazilian jiu-jitsu so much. I would say that it has imp- impacted the art on a worldwide level, on so many levels. Because America, and I know Brazilians won't be happy with this, but America has become kind of the mecca for a lot of it. Because a lot of people moved here from Brazil to, they saw opportunity. And with that came the Americanization of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, just like what we did to Karate, you know. And I honestly, I kind of worry about that because I don't want to see Jiu-Jitsu get watered down. I don't want it to. And and I'm sure it's happening here and there. I mean, we know McJojo's and we make jokes about that, but that's real, you know. And how does that reflect us as a as a community and as a art, martial art, but then who's going to be in charge of it? You know, there's way too many chiefs and not enough Indians that are going to follow just one. And so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I think we just kind of have to get through these growing pains. I can't think of any one person that I would say I want to lead this. I don't think that there's any organization currently that can handle that responsibility and do it completely unbiased. And I don't know if that's necessarily the answer is that we need to all fall under one, but time will tell, you know. I would just like to see us moving forward, I think, as a key. Yeah, yeah. From my perspective, I mean, I am I'm far from an expert on this. I I would say I'm just a guy with an opinion, but I don't even know, honestly, if I have much of an opinion on it. I, I don't know if there's a right answer to what the future holds for jujitsu. I think it's one of those things that's very difficult to actually predict. And kind of the best that all of us can do is just try to advance things and make things better one step at a time. Yeah. And it's like you got you to take care of your own home before you can take care of the whole community, right? So providing inclusive, safe, and empowering gyms, you know, providing that within your own gym is going to reflect what the community looks like. But if you have predators and 
and all kinds of crap going on in your gym, then that's going to reflect what you're contributing to the community as well. Well, there's something that I think I, I would hope everyone can agree is an obstacle that jujitsu needs to overcome. We know that there are, are serious issues with this in the jujitsu community. I don't have any data to demonstrate whether it's greater than or, or less than um, the general population. But man, it, it sure feels like this happens way more often than it should in jujitsu. And I, I, I mean, look, I, I know that whenever I bring this topic up, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who get grumpy and tell me they don't want me to talk about this kind of stuff because they just want to learn technique. But I think in a big in a big way, that's part of the problem is that there's always going to be people who just say this isn't a priority. And as long as as people don't take that seriously, as long as we have people thinking it's not a big deal that sexual abuse is so rampant in the sport and, and, and not even just beyond beyond that, even just general cultish gym tactics. Right. As long as people are OK with that, jujitsu is never going to be that worldwide sport that I think people dream it could be. Uh, you know, it's like you said, you've got to you got to take care of your own house before you start worrying about others. And I, I think the, the house of jujitsu definitely does need a little bit of cleaning. Oh, yeah. I think I don't I think this has been going on much longer. We just haven't heard about it. You know, I I think it has been swept under the rug and swept under the rug and swept under the rug. How many women have left that maybe something happened that they just never told anybody about? A lot. I I guarantee it's a lot. And that's sad and that's horrible because jujitsu is supposed to be something empowering. It's supposed to help you. You trust. You're Anytime you're on the mass and you're rolling with somebody, you're pu you're putting your life in their hands. Really, let's get real. We're not we're we're play fighting. We're play hurting people, but people still do get hurt. And if you have people in there that are trying to hurt people, or trying to manipulate them, or trying to coerce them for their own agendas, it's not. It's disgusting, in my opinion, you know, and there is something that needs to be done about it. And and I think a large part of it is encouraging these people who've had these experiences to come forward and talk about it. It's OK. You know, we there are a lot of really, really as for as many bad people there are in jujitsu. There are a lot of really amazing people out there that will support you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is true that there are there are bad apples, as they say. But I think most people would agree that, look, just like just like in real life, the vast majority of people are are just good, decent people. Everyone makes mistakes now and then. But that's very different from the, the kind of predatory behavior that we see consistently here. And I think that awareness, like you said, is a big part of solving that problem. You, you can't solve a problem unless you're willing to talk about it. I fully understand the reasons why people might not want to talk about it, but it really does help. And yes, unfortunately, there will be those those a-holes who say, I don't want to hear about this stuff. Shut up and train. But I think the and I hope the vast majority of people take this stuff really seriously. 100 percent. And silence is complacency, you know, I think a large part of it, too, that what we're seeing more is, and we need this. And I and I, I hate I hate, you know, not that I hate to say it, but men's opinions on this matter a lot a lot and in some ways it's they, they're a lot louder than women they're a lot more heard than us unfortunately now now going back to things that we can do within our our own houses so to speak to make things better you had mentioned earlier that the problems that we have in jiu-jitsu it goes beyond just you know sexual predators there's a lot of things that are much smaller in scope like just 
having that gym bully, the person in the gym who just makes things miserable for everyone, right? Sometimes it's little things like that that can still completely ruin the experience and ruin the art for people. What are your thoughts there on how we can solve those kinds of problems that happen at that smaller scale? I mean, like I said, unfortunately, as the sport is growing so fast and the art's growing so fast, it's attracting all walks of life. So the checks and balance system is a little bit off in a lot of gems. Again, communication. Going to those that are in charge that have a say in what happens in that gym and telling them, I don't feel safe rolling with this person. And that's the big thing too, is you do not have to roll with every single person that asks you, trust your intuition. If you say, "Mm, part of me doesn't want to roll with this person, that's okay. You know, and you know, I, I'm an avoider in that I'll be like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom or I need to drink water or, and that's been my tactic, to be honest, is saying, instead of being like directly, I don't feel comfortable, but here I am 20 years in and I'm finally at the point where I feel comfortable saying that. And so I get it's hard. I completely get it's hard, but protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And I, I would also say too, like you mentioned earlier, don't suffer in silence, right? If mm-hmm. there's someone who is a, a bad influence at the gym, however that may be defined, make sure the coach knows about it. Because if you don't tell anyone, then that person's just going to go and make other people miserable, right? The It's not going to end with you. <laughs> Very rarely do those people stop at the first person, no. right? If someone is, is a mat bully with you, or if they're a dangerous training partner with you, that's just going to continue with everyone else. So I, I think it it's important to point out that um, y- this is an area where speaking up really does help. 100%. And if your coach doesn't listen to you, go above them. Go to the owners. If they don't listen to you, that's probably not the gym you want to be a part of. Well, and there's a lot of options out there. And, and I know for some people who are r- more rural, that live in more rural areas, it's not the same. But... If you genuinely do not feel safe in your gym, then you definitely need to look at other options. Now, on the topic of overcoming obstacles, and on a lighter note, um, I mean, you just touched on an obstacle that is still to this day very common, which is just people training in really rural areas and not having access to good instructors. In some cases, not literally not having access to any instructors at all. What do you do in that situation where the talent pool is just so small and so dry that you can't train locally simply because there there isn't a good enough gym nearby? The great thing that the pandemic brought was so many amazing competitors and instructors are doing online uh, coaching. Uh, Sophia McDermott, Jazari Matura, those are just a few. Uh, Heather Woods. I mean, there's a lot of women that are that have shifted because their source of income got lost during the pandemic as well. And they've continued on because they do realize that there is a need for, especially for those that don't live in areas that have a lot of gyms. But on the flip side, too, I know people who drive two hours to jiu-jitsu class, three hours to jiu-jitsu class, which is crazy. I drive half hour. And I'm like, eh, do I really want to go? <laughs> you know, But they're so dedicated and that's amazing, you know? Yeah. So seek it out. It's, it's something is there. And even if, 
Maybe there's not jujitsu. Maybe there's judo. Maybe there's wrestling. That's going to help you with your jujitsu training as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also worth pointing out that, I mean, you know, the, the old Gracie garage solution is still totally viable. If there's not a gym nearby, you can just buy some mats and get together with some buddies and, you know, watch some instructional tape and do some remote coaching with someone who does know the sport, right? People always poo-poo on this and they always say, well, you, you know, you're, you're never going to get to be Gordon Ryan if you just train. Well, look, you're not Gordon Ryan anyway. It doesn't matter. So your alternative <laughs> is you don't train and you learn nothing or you train and you at least get the ball rolling, right? So one thing that I have noticed, and especially I'm sure you've seen this too, right? Using audio as a vehicle for teaching jujitsu. I get people all the time who swear up and down that it doesn't work. And they, they say this based on nothing, right? They've usually never listened to what we do or they've never tried the approach. And all I say is like, look, there's a lot of people who would disagree with you who use this approach. That's absolutely not to say that it's going to replace in-person instruction. But there's a lot of things that you can really only explain clearly with words. And they actually sometimes make more sense if you turn your eyes off and you use your ears instead. And I think remote instruction is a great example of that. I mean, yeah, it's is it ever going to be the same as training directly with a black belt? Probably not. But you'll be shocked how effective it will be if you do some remote Zoom classes with a good coach or send them some of your footage to review, right? Like you'll be shocked at how valuable that is. 100%. Because a lot of the times, I'll be honest, that's more attention than you get if you are one of 100 students or 200 students in your gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get a kick out of that. People always insist that in-person coaching is better. And I'm thinking, really? Like, how much time, how much FaceTime do you actually get with your instructor? How much in-person time? I'm going to guess it's not more than 30 seconds a class. Mm -hmm. There's a good chance your instructor doesn't know your name. <laughs> There's a good chance your instructor doesn't remember the last time they promoted you and when you're due for the next one. They probably have a system to do the thinking for them there, right? So are you really going to tell me that that's better than like a 20-minute Zoom session with a black belt who's focused entirely on you? Again, I'm not saying that one form of training is better than the other, but if you combine these together, it can be greater than the sum of its parts and definitely better than the alternative, which is nothing. Absolutely. And then you can you can bring a friend, you know, like, hey, why don't you try jujitsu? I need a dummy. That's how I started. <laughs> you know, like, I, I just need a body. Just come. I haven't taken this class. I need a body. And then, then now you have a training partner. I mean, then the Gracie University, that was in that we had a lot of girls, especially back in, oh gosh, like 2011. And we had girls coming down from Oklahoma and they're like, I love coming to every single, they were coming down to Texas. They're like, I come down for all these events because the only other only other person I train with is my husband because I'm doing Gracie University online. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely does make a difference. And again, I, I think this is another one of those situations where people might have it in their head that there is a a quote unquote right way to learn. And they're just not very receptive to other methods and other options, but man, explore and you will be surprised. There are ways that you can learn jujitsu that will blow your mind, right? So if you are in that situation where you just, you're not happy with your gym and there aren't good options around, I mean, we live in a world now where you can contact anyone through your phone, anyone on the planet pretty much. So I would definitely suggest, you know, using this opportunity to reach out and try to network and meet some coaches who maybe can help you. Absolutely. Or reach out. To, I mean, that's why uh, that's why I love what we do, because we have a community. Anything you need help with, you're going to find somebody that can help you somewhere, you know, and that community is so key to the survival. Even if you are in a gym that has a whole bunch of women and a whole bunch of people to train with, 
you still need that community, not only in your gym, but with other people. You need to get perspectives from other people in the, the jujitsu world as well. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about community here. Let's talk about girls and geese. So what exactly is it and how can people get involved? Uh, I think that's probably a question that's on a lot of people's minds. Well, uh, we're online. <laughs> so you can find everything on our website is girlsandgeese.com. Um, like I said, we host events. We're all about we are not affiliated with any gym, uh, with any affiliation, with any instructors. We include everyone. So if you want to host an event, you can go to our website, you can sign up to host, we'll send you the information. If you want are interested in being an instructor or if you want to get involved in volunteer, that's all there as well. We can send you all the information on how to do that. We are run almost completely by volunteers. Uh, that's what makes this organization grow and continue. Our goal in the next year is to start expanding further than we have. And so we need help. Like I said, it's it's a collective effort, all of us working together. We want to feature women uh, not only as, you know, practitioners and competitors. Our big push has been to provide more paid teaching opportunities. Our events were free for about the first 10 years that we did events because we wanted to make it accessible to everyone. Our events are to kind of dive down that path are a combination of kind of like an open, it's an open mat as well as a workshop or class. You get to learn about how different people do different different things that they offer because their jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu is an evolution of Japanese jujitsu and it's continued to evolve and evolve and evolve. And so there are different people who have different perspectives. They're taught different ways. And I like to say there's no wrong in jujitsu. There's just things that maybe work better than others for different body types. And that's really the long and short. We have instructors of all ages, all body types, all skill levels. We have blue belts that teach. Um, Wyoming, we're doing an event up there. And so it's that has been our big focus is to get women in front of the room. And I think that's super important for the evolution we've done a great job in growing the sport and bringing awareness. But I think it's time for women to start having more opportunities to take on leadership roles. And I think that's going to be a huge factor that changes the sport and how we move forward is by having more of that balance with women in power in the sport. Fantastic. Well, if people want to learn more about the foundation or get involved or just follow you, how do they go about doing that? We are on Instagram, uh, Girls and Geese, Twitter, Girls and Geese again, Facebook, as we have a Facebook page. Also, we have our YouTube. You can check out our podcast on any of our, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on everything, Spotify, Apple. And again, like I said, we have a website that has everything. You can shoot us a message. We're pretty quick about uh, getting back to you on Instagram or Facebook, or you can shoot us an email if you have any questions on how you can uh, get involved in as a sponsored company. We work with a lot of different companies as well to promote a lot of women-owned companies, again, to build that presence of women that are, are making a difference in the sport and the art. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming by, Shama. Any closing thoughts or things you wanted to add or talk about here before we uh, move on and tie this one up? 
Sure. I would say, you know, for anybody that's struggling with a challenge in jujitsu, which I would say is everybody because jujitsu is not easy, just keep going. You know, if you just keep showing up, eventually things are going to click. Eventually you're going to hit that next level. it's, It's valleys, plateaus, and mountains. And it's a journey. There is no destination. You know, you, you get your black belt and bam, you're a white belt in the black belt world. I would say don't don't make your goal just to get a black belt. Think about what you want your journey to look like. Yeah, that's another great example of keeping your identity small. I mean, everyone, they, they tie things like getting a black belt into part of their journey. And then they eventually get it. And now what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's, what's left once you've done that? What's next for you? What's your goal? You got to be thinking about more than just that. But anyway, yeah, thanks so much for your time, Shama. I'll put all of the links to Girls and Geese in the show notes. So if anyone wants to follow the foundation, get in touch or work with them, just pop open your podcast player, go to info or description and check in there. Should be some links. I'll also throw a link to bjjmentalmodels.com. That's where literally everything that we make lives. Um, the podcast, the newsletter, uh, and BJJ Mental Models Premium as well. Man, if you're interested in remote coaching, that's an amazing option. We've got uh, literally some of the best women's coaches in the world as part of that service. Sign up and they will review your footage, break it down, and send you, again, probably better than the 30 seconds of attention you'll get from your own instructor. So definitely recommend it. As part of Premium, you also get access to our uh, amazing Jiu-Jitsu Discord community, our entire library of courses, and our, our increasingly growing library of premium podcasts as well. So if you're If you like the idea of the show and you're tired of listening to me, there's a lot of other options on the feed there as well if you're a premium subscriber. So again, bjjmentalmodels.com for that, and I'll put a link to everything there in the show notes. But Shama, thank you so much for coming by. Really enjoyed this one. I I know we've been meaning to get together for a while, and I'm happy we're finally able to do so. And I'm happy that the storm did not knock out your power during this recording, too. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, I... Hopefully it'll rain because it's just that pressure. (laughs) I'm just like, it's a lot. (laughs) But thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you having me on and and for this opportunity to share a little bit about myself as well as the amazing work that we're doing. You are most welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you to the listeners as well. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. Bye.